You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Monday, 5 February. Facebook turned 20 yesterday. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Gauteng in Johannesburg. On the show today, Chantal Marks, head of research, F&B, wealth and investments. The Hudeco results, I mean, you know, single digit, but I thought really solid numbers. Kingsley Williams from Satrix, they've got a new ETF that will be listing. It's going to use global free float metrics, which means it'll have higher exposure to those dual listed companies. Uh, and then we're going to be chatting with Alan Gray around frontier markets, particularly the equity fund. I'm interested in returns. I'm interested in how they manage the the the, the risks. I mean, particularly, what how do you manage currency risks? The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb: Transnet personnel changes paying off. Coal export volumes railed to Richards Bay were up more than 10% in the December quarter, and port backlogs are declining. They also fixed the conveyor belt at the Richards Bay Coal Terminal uh, in early Jan. Business Day, business threatens legal action should NHI become law. It's going to get caught up in the courts for many years. Morning markets, US was red, S&P up 1.1%, NASDAQ up 1.7%. Over in the east, mostly red, Sydney off a third, Tokyo is the green up 0.6%, Hong Kong down a third and 10 cent off 0.8%. Commodities, red, gold, 2047, Brent 77.54, Platinum 902, Palladium 937, Rand 18.94, Bitcoin 42,550, an opening call, green open, 70 points, 0.1% to the upside. MoneyWeb now. On the money. Also available on podcast. Jenny and I with uh, Chantal Marx, as I said, head research, FMB, wealth and investments. Chantal, those who deco results, so not knocking out the park by any stretch, but a, a, a really solid set of numbers. And here's the fun fact I've got data back to 1990. They've never missed a dividend, not during the pandemic, not during the 2008 crisis. They just kind of go along and do their business. And that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about <laughs> as well. Um, I just think that being being a solid capital allocator in a low growth market like the South African market is so important. So what I was looking at specifically was over the last 10 years, what has the total return been to shareholders? So share price appreciation and their dividends would be included in that and indirectly share buybacks will also mm-hmm. be included in that. And we've only had two negative years of wow. shareholder returns from Deco <laughs> in the last 10. That's 2014 and 2020, surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. So, um, and even though you are only able to deliver single-digit growth, it's still high single-digit, Simon. Yeah. And it's against a very, very constrained macroeconomic backdrop. And they do that in two ways. They are very well diversified. And the second one is they make really, really smart, small, targeted acquisitions. They're not going to break the bank, uh, but they just allow for really nice, steady growth over time. They're one of those sort of stocks that you want to put in your portfolio. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, imagine if our economy was growing at 4 5%. It's not. Let's not go there for yeah. a second. But it's one of those stocks that you want to put there because it's just, it, it, it's, it's dependable and predictable, which is like a, a really nice thing to have in a portfolio. I know we want the excitement of NVIDIA, but uh, some, some predictability is quite nice too. 
Yes, our, our team always talk about the boring stocks, right? Yeah. The ones that no one wants to cover because they feel like they don't want to talk about bearings and cables in the <laughs> event of, uh, or in the case of Renette. Um, that's it's not the it's not the sexy stuff, but it's very very dependable, and these management teams are exceptionally strong. It offers a sense of diversification, also away from the the super exciting stuff. And I I think the the nuts and bolts angle of this, and the fact that it could potentially benefit from a recovery in South Africa, which we all really really still hope for, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think will be will be will be really great. I mean, even in their commentary, they say they're so ready when economic growth turns and when those structural <laughs> changes actually come through. They are so, so ready. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're sitting on the, I, I can see that sitting on the edge of their seats. Quick question while I've got you on the line. You and I have chatted multi-choice a number of times over the years. Uh, currently, what, trading sort of low 90s on that 105 offer from Canal Plus, I was told is how you pronounce it. You, would you take the money and run or would you think there's more here? I would definitely take a bit of money off the table. So perhaps, I mean, especially if you came in quite early, Mm. perhaps take a little bit of money off the table because I think the regulatory hurdle is quite a high one that Canal Plus will have to to surpass. So there is a chance that this thing may not materialize. Um, And even if it does, there's also a chance that management starts pushing back on this thing because, let's be honest, 105 grand for multi-choice, even though it looks great in the... In, in, relative to the share price they were trading at before, it's still a bit of a low-ball offer if you yeah. consider that multi-choice yeah. traded at 147 rand a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's still a lot that needs to happen there. I would take some profit if I had any profit that didn't get in at 147 rand. <laughs> but um, I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch. It's certainly a company I still like for the very long term. Yeah, and, and I take your point. I mean, it, 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 there's a lot to go, and those regulatory hurdles are not not insignificant. And that price, that price is cheeky. I agree with that. Very cheeky. Chantal Marks, head of research, FMB Wealth and Investments. Always appreciate the early morning. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. I'm chatting with Kingsley Williams. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Satrix. Kingsley, appreciate the time. You've got a new ETF coming out, the Global Equity ETF code will be STXJGE. Before we dig into it, part of the reason behind this, and you put it in the note that you sent out, upcoming harmonization of the FTSE JC benchmarks, Aussie and SWIX happening in March 2024. What is this? Are we finally doing away with the SWIX, which I've got to say has been an index I've never really liked? Yeah, it's quite interesting that you mentioned that because what we've noticed, Simon, is that the industry at large, managers and funds, you know, in the various categories that investors can access those through, have from an equity perspective, largely coalesced around the SWIX or the capped SWIX approach. So while the all share is still the most often quoted index that you'd hear about, certainly in the media, the way managers generally construct their portfolios would largely be distributed around the capped SWIX as a reference benchmark. So 
that is now going to become the only index with which we measure our market. Ah. But just to make it super confusing, it will be known as the all share, even though it will look like the SWIX. So that is going to happen now in the March rebalance this year. Okay, and this is where your new ETF comes in, because although it's global, it's not buying stocks in the US and London, it's buying JC listed stocks, where we have a lot of dual listed and global, but they've all been downweighted. I'm thinking, yeah, Richmond and BHP, which used to be significantly downweighted, Process, Anheuser-Busch, you're looking to sort of give us more of that dual listed exposure in this ETF. Exactly. Yeah. So just to elaborate further on the SWIX approach, the SWIX methodology has always downweighted those dual listed companies on the JSC. And in fact, some of your listeners may remember SAB used to be listed on the JSC before it was acquired by AB InBev. And when that transaction happened, AB InBev never even made it into the index because its local free float was so low that it wasn't even eligible for inclusion. It has subsequently been added, but again, at a very reduced weight because it reflects just the shares that are domiciled here in South Africa. But yes, within the all share indices, which has had higher exposure to some of those dual listed and what's been known as the grandfathered companies, those as well have also been reducing through time. So you mentioned BHP and Richmond. They had corporate actions on them over the last two years. And essentially, they lost their grandfathered status and have also been downweighted in the all share indices. So Basically, the only large company we have with a higher weighting, the large dual listed company that we have with our higher weighting in the all share index is basically Anglos. There are one or two others, mm-hmm. but they're much smaller companies that have a higher weighting. So all of that difference between the SWIX and the all share is now going to disappear. And we really believe that investors would have an appetite for having exposure to all of those dual listed companies that are available on the JSE to get that meaningful rand hedge exposure that some of them offer and also just to have much higher exposure to companies that are now only going to be underrepresented in the standard indices. Yeah, and it's that rand hedge, it's that global nature of them, the BHPs, the Richmonds of the world. If I'm understanding your methodology, you're going to take the 50 biggest shares. Rather than using a local free float, you're going to use the global free float, and that will then upweight those dual listeds because you know the likes of Richmond, BHP, Anheuser-Busch are giant companies when we look at their global free weight. Exactly. So that's exactly what's going to happen. We'll ignore what proportion of shares, well, the way the JSC is going to construct the index is that they will ignore the proportion of shares that are domiciled here in South Africa on the straight register. Mm -hmm. They'll just look at the global free float and determine the market cap of that company based on global information, which is typically how global index providers would do it anyway. The key point, though, is that some of those companies are really large, and so the index will also have a cap built into it. Mm -hmm. So no company will have a weight in excess of 10% at each quarterly rebalance. So there will be diversification built into the design of the index to ensure that it isn't dominated by one mega cap company relative to the rest. Gotcha. Your target total expense ratio is 0.15%. As I said, the code STXJGE. Will you be paying dividends or reinvesting? And do you have a a listing date? The note I got just said first quarter. We don't have a confirmed listing date yet. We're hoping that's going to be announced imminently. So watch the news. We're hoping that will come out very, very soon. But it will distribute, as all collective investment schemes in South Africa should do. Any income that gets generated from dividends, etc., 
that will get distributed out to investors. That will be done on a quarterly basis. But yes, it will be run at a 15 basis point total expense ratio, which is a very competitive pricing point to access local equity market. And I think one of the other key features that some of your listeners may find interesting is, and you did touch on this, Simon, is it is only investing in JSE stocks. So yeah. while it has a strong global flavor by upweighting all of those dual listed companies on the JSE, by holding that exposure, you wouldn't consume any of your offshore allowance or foreign capacity limitations if you were an institutional investor, for example, that might have to comply with Regulation 28, which actually affects all of us because ultimately our pension fund savings need to comply with that. So, you know, if investors are feeling that they maybe have too much exposure to SA Inc. type stocks or not enough Rand hedge exposure in their local equity exposure, they would be able to balance that out with this type of strategy. Yeah, gotcha. And I'd actually forgotten as well that CIS are now all distributing. We had a, a change in a couple of ETFs recently. But we'll leave that there. Kingsley Williams, Chief Investment Officer, Satrix. Always appreciate the insight. There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Rory Kutuska Jacobson. He's fund manager, Alan Gray, Frontier Markets Equity Fund. Rory, appreciate the early time today. 2023, a good year for Frontier Markets, or perhaps more specifically for the fund that you, with your colleagues, run and operate. That's correct, yeah. So I think overall, Frontier Markets didn't do particularly well last year, especially if you compare it to markets like the US. But within that, I mean, we're active managers, we deviate quite meaningly from the benchmark and our fund did relatively well. And you make a point in a recent note you set out that it is around sort of being contrarian and that's how you get rewarded. You want to hold different positions from that benchmark. Yes. So we're obviously active bottom-up fundamental analysts. Mm. And from our experience, where do those opportunities come from? It comes from inefficiency in the market. And I think frontier markets are particularly prone to being inefficient for two reasons. The first one I would say is prejudice. So a lot of people, you know, it's foreign languages, foreign cultures. When you hear about some of these markets, people almost kind of immediately just roll their eyes and look away. And the other one is, I guess, related is ignorance for the same kind of reason as people don't really understand these markets particularly well and therefore don't even bother looking at which creates a lot of opportunity for people that are willing to do the work. And you make the point there that you're very much bottom-up. This isn't a top-down macroeconomic because some of the markets that you operate, that you're investing into, a top and a scale one, it's around the individual stocks very much. That's correct, yeah. So I think one great example over the last two, three years, not that you ever want to benefit from war. Mm. I mean, we've been analyzing some of these markets for the last six or seven years, and we understood the Georgian and Kazakhstani stocks relatively well. And then obviously, Russia invaded Ukraine. And so if you rewind the clock to kind of March, April, May 2022, we thought those markets were already relatively cheap, but then they got absolutely smashed. And anything kind of surrounding Russia got sold off aggressively. And so we looked at these markets and we said, well, you know, here you can find some really attractive, high-quality businesses that have very strong market shares. In particular, we bought some of the banks in mm. both Kazakhstan and Georgia. And you could buy them at that point in time on incredibly low multiples. 
you're talking, you know, as low as kind of one and a half to three times earnings. And so even if you assumed, we said, well, look, there's obviously going to be a very negative knock-on effect for these economies. And let's assume the GDP contracts and those banks have declined in earnings of 15, 20%. Even then, you're paying such a low price, you're being compensated for that. And actually what transpired, which is not something that we anticipated, was indirectly those economies benefited because a lot of people from Ukraine and Russia relocated, yeah. more so to Georgia than Kazakhstan. And a lot of trade in the region that historically went through Russia was redirected to both those markets. So actually, Georgia and Kazakhstan have both been growing very healthy, kind of positive GDP in the last few years. And so the bank's earnings have grown 20 30%. And so over the last 18 to 24 months, you've seen significant growth in underlying earnings. And you've seen a slight improvement in the rating that the market is putting on those shares. So that kind of drove a lot of the performance we had in our fund. In terms of finding the information, you know, I'm thinking about the JSC, I'm thinking about New York, about London, where there's just a ton of information. And truthfully, perhaps that actually makes it harder because everyone's got all that information. I mean, how is it easy to find data and reliable data on, for example, banks in Georgia or, you know, pharmaceutical companies in, in Bangladesh? Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. It's a challenge. So it's a lot harder to find kind of granular detail and maybe something more detail about, you know, market share and independent opinions. That being said, I mean, so there's a lot of companies we don't invest in just because if, if they're sufficiently small or they report only in Vietnamese or they report only in another foreign language, then it's very difficult for us to get yeah. a, a grip on their yeah. financials. But you know, most companies who want to appeal to international investors, so typically if your market cap is greater than two, $300 million, they start reporting in English. That helps it a lot. So, for example, the Georgian banks, actually both of the ones we're invested in, in TBC Bank and Bank of Georgia, they have primary listings on the LSE in London. Okay. And so all of their reporting is in English and they have to adhere to LSE standards in terms of requirements. So, And then Halleck Bank, which is the bank we invested in in, in Kazakhstan, They've got a global depository receipt. They also report in English. These kind of idiosyncrasies make it interesting, but also exciting. One of the other examples is the Egyptian market. Yeah. They do report in English, but often the English reports come out two, three, four months after <laughs> the, the Arabic ones. For that purpose, we have to hire a guy who can, who can read a bit of Arabic, <laughs> and we've got one or two analysts who can read a bit of French. That does help, but it, it is a challenge. And are you investing? Because it suddenly occurs to me, there's a currency risk here as well. Now, if you can get it on the LSE or an ADR, that kind of removes the quotient. But how do you manage currency risk? Or is that more just about position sizing? That's exactly right. It's about position sizing. And there's two elements of currency risk. So the first one is obviously just the movement in the currency. Mm -hmm. But the second one is actually, which you alluded to, is whether you invest in that country or if you invest outside that country. So if I take Nigeria as an example... There's a company called Seplat, mm -hmm. which is one of the oil majors in Nigeria, but they listed both in London and in Nigeria. But if you bought the shares in Nigeria, you would be subject to capital controls. So it's not that easy at the moment to get your money in and out of Nigeria. Whereas if you bought it on the London Stock Exchange, you can quite easily sell it for sterling, but you still are indirectly experiencing the massive variations in currency. And so how do we think about it is we have a big focus on kind of overall country exposure. So as much as we're bottom-up fundamental analysts, we also have like kind of a macro overlay and we say, well, what is the maximum exposure we're comfortable going at in this country given just the macro risks and all the risks around that currency? When we typically value companies, we try as much as possible to value them in US dollars. 
And so we look at the history of the currency, we look at the history of capital controls, and we say, you know, we think, let's, for example, say this company can grow at 15% per annum in Naira, but we think the Naira is 30, 40% overvalued, then we would discount those earnings and say, well, actually in dollars then, they're not going to grow earnings for the next few years, and or we think the earnings in dollars will be 2 or 3 or 4% if you assume a 10 or 11% depreciation in the currency over the next four years. Gotcha. Okay, so a whole bunch of different sort of quirks around the frontier markets. We'll leave it there. It's for Rick Jacobson. He is fund manager, Alan Gray, Frontier Markets Equity Fund. Appreciate the time. And that's our poll today in, around those frontier markets, different from emerging markets. We're an emerging market, not a frontier market. The question is, have you been investing into them? I suppose you could go direct, otherwise you're going through funds such as the Alan Gray and, and many others out there. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. MoneyWeb at Midday is South Africa's fastest-paced audio news and current affairs show. Give me 30 minutes and I'll give you the country and the world. This is what you missed. Because of government inefficiencies, you're looking at the fuel levy, in a sense, as a, a cash cow, taking hard-earned tax money from citizens to compensate for government inefficiencies. Live at noon weekdays and then up as a podcast on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb at Midday with me, Jeremy Max when you need relevant news quickly in your own time. That's it for today. We're chatting with Skulk Lowe on Friday, PSG Old Oak. And I was asking him about the multi-choice deal, much as I asked Chantel today. Uh, he, he seemed to think that this was not a slam dunk either. We asked you, are you, is this a good deal? Do you take the money and run? Two-thirds of you said, yes, take the money and run. Third said, regulators will block. The rest said, it is worth more. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. The show is brought to you by Stanlip. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, MoneyWeb website in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobokle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. David Shapiro, the top stocks from the Crystal Challenge. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.